All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 201 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. Frank, how was the weekend? Uh, not in Florida, so not that great. Uh, Thank I had, Yeah, I was supposed to go to the uh, GM meetings on Sunday. Once the delay reached hour four, and they were like, well, we can get you there Monday night. I'm like, guys, like the meeting starts on Monday. I, I need to. They're like, yeah, that's the last seat we have available. Okay, so just pulled the pin on the trip, and here I am covering the GM meetings from home. Well, you know, some years the GM meetings have have big things on the docket. Other years it's just small little things. I kind of sense it's more of the latter this year. Yeah, I think, honestly, I feel like the last few GM meetings, there's been a, a number of topics on the agenda that they talk about and then can never really form a strong opinion one way or the other and end up just tabling it to the summer in which nothing ends up happening anyway. So there'll be a number of things talked about this week, including uh, the decision for teams to sit out players for trade related reasons. Not only what is the GM's perspective on those uh, decisions, but also how does the league feel about it? And how does the players association feel about that? I, I could tell you that, um, you know, in certain circumstances, like someone like Jacob Chikrin, not upset because he, he wanted to get out of Arizona. And if that was the way to facilitate it, of course, he's going to sit out. But I don't think someone like Vladislav Gavrikov was very happy with how it played out in Columbus. He was healthy, wanted to continue playing. These guys are paid to be NHL players, not to sit in the press box and watch with a bin of popcorn. So well, you're a pen and free agent, Frank. You sit out 10% of the season because they're waiting to get traded that could like, if you're a forward and, and, and most of us know that free agency is based on points, a lot of it that let's say all of a sudden, you know, that's for a certain player, that's four five, six points. Well, that, that could be the difference of half a million bucks. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's as much concern for that because the truth is with those pending unrestricted free agents traded to a playoff team, they're going to be judged by how they perform in the playoffs, most likely. And that's where you're going to make your money. That's where you're going to get your opportunity. So um, I don't think there's as big of a concern from that standpoint. But how does the league feel about the competition aspect of it? Like, is it okay to, to go up to three weeks without that player in your lineup while fans are paying the same premium price for tickets? 
I think that's a really fair question to ask. And there's no consensus because really what was the motivation of the Arizona Coyotes or the Columbus Blue Jackets? Did they actually believe that they were close to a deal? Both teams were rumored to be close to a deal with, oddly, neither one of them ended up working out. The Boston Bruins were the team that was rumored for Vladislav Gavrikov, and the LA Kings were the team that was rumored for Jacob Chikrin. So was there something there, or was this really the GMs using the platform and the leverage of that player sitting out as a chance to maybe smoke a team or two out to make an offer that they otherwise might not have gotten? That's the real question, and I think that's sort of the root of the issue. Other than that, um, I know there's there's lots of people that I've seen, and, and it gets brought up every year, should you have to fight after a clean hit? And I, I don't know how you – if you well, you know – The answer is no, by the yeah, way. The answer is no, but if, if you're the instigator, right, there, there is already a penalty for the instigator. So do you just enforce the instigator rule more often? And, and in some cases, like I look at, at, at Jacob Truba when, when he rattled Kadri – Truba gets up, his gloves are coming off before, you know, Dubé's even in the ready for screen. It. So he's like, you guys want me? I want you. So I'm, I'm, you know what? To me, it's, it's, it's not that we're seeing guys get jumped by players outside of their weight class. You know what I mean? Like Dylan Dubé stepped up to fight Truba and Dubé is the one who's in a severe mismatch there. So I don't really have a complaint about it. I, do you, I don't see anything really necessary to come out of this. Do you like? I know they brought up Justin Hole and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I'm like, Nugent Hopkins fights once every five years, for goodness sakes. We're going to worry about that. Like, plus, it looked yeah. like it was a headshot. Well, that that you just said the the biggest part of it is how do you know in the moment what's clean and what isn't? Like, we have to sometimes really take these clips and break them down. You think players on the ice yeah. where they have emotion involved and where they don't really care if it's clean or not, they don't like to see their teammate down. That's the big driver of this. It's not clean or 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 dirty, and I, I that's why I think it's so hard to litigate this. It's so hard to come up with a a ruling one way or the other, and and it's a big reason why I don't think anything is going to get done on the topic. Because how do you know what's clean and what isn't? We we need help from the Department of Player Safety and and really Zapruder like images in order to make it happen. Yeah, which is why, to me, I don't think it's necessary. Like, the game is super fast. It's an intense game. Stop trying to take the emotion out of the NHL. I'm just tired of it. I'm fine. Yeah, I love the emotion. I think my issue is just not every hit deserves a fight. And I I just think it's stupid that that's the way – that's what we've come to. I just don't know how you police it. Like, I hate the look of it. You throw a big hit, and all of a sudden, you need to be ready to drop your gloves. Like, well, that's, that's not the way it used to be. There were big hits all the time, and you just played on. And that's really the way it should be. Yeah, there's also, there used to be way more fights, so I think that's part of it, right? Those big hits now are considered, A, they're rare. There's not as much big hits as they used to. Hitting's hard to do. There's not many, you know, really great open ice hitters. Guys have their head up more, whatever, whatever, the game's faster. So I think that when you see them, they're few and far between, and they really stand out, and teams look at it like, hey, what's going on? So... Um, the fact to me that we don't have, you know, outside of maybe 10 guys that are true heavyweights, and even now the heavyweights play, there's, I don't really see it an issue. Like when you look at guys, it's Dylan Dubé, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you know, Chris Tanev type of players that are coming in to want to fight someone. You're not seeing Reeves or Gadjevich or, you know, like true heavyweights, Lucic going in on guys. That's why I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, I'm just, I, I hate the gut reaction of it. I wish we could reteach players to just, there's a big hit. Okay, continue playing. There doesn't need to be a stoppage every time for everyone to grab each other and look around. Yeah, no, that's fair too. Like you said, though, on some of those hits, they happen so quick. You know, Kadri's helmet comes off. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, you must have hit him in the head. That can't happen. Yeah, so. and that's that was that one was actually a fair reaction because of that viewpoint if you see a guy's bucket flying across the ice like you're thinking logically it must have been a hit to the head so i understand that but just less less reactionary fighting for just 
I'm glad that we've we've sort of reached the point where stage fighting is it's almost non-existent, like the drop your gloves off the draw kind of thing. It doesn't you, you see it like once in a blue moon now, and I think that's that's good. That's the way it should be. We don't need stage fighting. It should be a product of emotion. And I'm I'm for fighting. I don't have any issue with it. It's just we don't need one after every hit. So what do you think happens with the salary cap? This is my big thing for the week. You know, I think everyone's sort of wondering what is Commissioner Gary Bettman going to say on Wednesday when he speaks to the media? I would say my prediction is that he'll say that the NHL projection is that the debt will be close to paid off, but unlikely to be paid off from players to owners. And that therefore, according to the letter of the law of the CBA as negotiated, there will be a $1 million salary cap increase. I just don't think that's the actual reality of what is likely to happen this summer, because I've said this before, Jay, I I have such a hard time believing that we're going to see a fourth straight season next year of a flat or frozen salary cap. And my only worry coming through the trade deadline period was that anyone that could have made the argument saying the flat cap stagnated transactions doesn't have a leg to stand on now because there was such a flurry of activity during the deadline period. So that is a real cause for concern. But I think that there's going to be real heat from both sides, from the owner's side and from the player's side to get this cap finally moving up in an upward trajectory. And if that means negotiating a new deal outside of the memorandum of understanding, that's what it's going to take. There's also just an unknown player involved in what does new NHLPA executive director Marty Walsh think of all this and how will this play itself out? Well, I agree with you that that's what Batman's going to say. Um, the other factor is, I think he's going to say it, Frank, because they don't know. Like, what about now? Right now, there's only the three teams that uh, you know, are not going to get paid for their broadcast down the stretch, right? And that's so, a good point, right? How much? How much money is is that that they're losing? How how does that impact the overall cap? Because that's going to be the league having to basically uh, endure that loss. So I don't think, I it's think it's going to be this season, though, because they've yeah. agreed to pay their bills through this season. But what we're seeing happen in baseball, it's really interesting. So to in case if you're listening and you don't know the full details of the story, basically there's two different regional sports networks that are in peril. One is AT&T Sportsnet, which is ceasing operations at the end of March. Uh, so that is the Golden Knights, the Seattle Kraken, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, their regional TV deals. And they essentially said, you know, look, as, as of March 31st, we're done. And so the way I understand it is uh, those payments will no longer be made for those teams. However, uh, I think the latest word that I had received was Vegas and Pittsburgh have no clue what's going to happen. Seattle is in a little bit of a different spot because the Mariners are the team that owns Root Sports. And so there's a chance that that sort of continues on as planned, but that's two teams and that's one side. Then there's the Bally sports uh, network and they have, I believe 12 or 14 regional regional network deals in the U S and I do some work for them as their, as one of their national hockey insiders. However, that's that's going to finish off this year fine like all they have to get through is 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 march the first two weeks of april and the first round of the playoffs um and so those are those are planning to go off without a hitch but what's interesting and the reason i brought up baseball jay is because uh on that side they've picked three teams in particular that are way in the red like there's no chance that they can actually make money on the deals so uh, I think those teams are the San Diego Padres, the Cincinnati Reds, and, and there's one more. But they've basically taken those three teams as they go into the bankruptcy stage and have said, we have no chance to make money on your deal. You know, essentially, you're out. And in the meantime, Major League Baseball is scrambling. Their season's just starting. They're planning to stream all of the games in those markets for free. Uh, in, in every market, 
because they don't know what's going to happen with the actual regional sports network itself, let alone the payments. So hockey has a little bit of time to figure this out. And the situation may look vastly different in September and October than it does now. So right now, I don't think there's any revenue impact in the moment, but there could be a significant one moving forward. If a third or more than that of your teams suddenly don't have regional TV contracts that pay huge sums of money every season. Yeah, it's going to impact the future growth of, of the salary cap, right? Which is why, why Gary might say, hey, it's going to remain flat because we have no choice because we don't know. We might not know by the, the middle of June. You would hope they do. They're definitely not going to know by Wednesday. So uh, I agree. The response Wednesday is going to be, um, it'll be a million dollars, and then they're going to maybe try to pump it up a bit before June, but they're going to have to figure out their TV deals, and that's that's a massive issue for those uh, for those teams for sure to see what they're going to do. Yeah, it, it's it's massive, but it, it's a it's a few hundred million dollars, I think, total between all the teams. So, it, it you know it is a big deal moving forward. Oh yeah, yeah. Now uh, you're not on the uh, flight, unfortunately, Frank. But uh, Danny Briere is uh, going to his first GM meetings as the, of course, interim GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. I believe and, he'll be there. Yeah, and so when you look at the Flyers, Frank, this this isn't a surprising move. I don't think you talked about it a while back. We discussed it that you know was it going to happen now or maybe at the end of the season. So you know you get Briere in an interim basis. Here's my question though. My understanding is their president of hockey operations, Frank, you're right in Philadelphia. They're splitting that, right? Fletcher had both. So now they need two. And the president usually is the GM's boss. Does it make sense? And I know it's only interim basis. Does it make sense you've got Briere until you get your president? And then when you get your president, I think the president's first job, even if he loves Briere, should still have an open interview process because you can learn a lot about your organization when you hear in those interviews from other from other people and what they see and view in your in or organization moving forward. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I just don't know how it's all going to play out. And I think the really interesting thing is, you're right, it, there's not a lot of intrigue in who the next GM is. I think everyone expects that it's going to be Danny Briere. I think... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, whatever plays itself out in terms of the interview process kind of feels like a sham because the belief is, unless something drastically changes, that he will be the next GM. The question is, as you mentioned, on the, on the president of hockey operations side, they, they've got a structure in place on the business side, so that really isn't – it's not a business-type role. But I think what's really important is – because there's a bit of a different hierarchy here and, and structure in place, it's not a team that's owned by an individual. It's not like the president of hockey ops reports to, you know, the owner and that's it. There's a corporate structure in place where there's all sorts of people involved on the, on the Comcast end of the business that I think really made Chuck Fletcher's job pretty difficult. Um, I think he, there was a lot of, not only a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but there were a lot of things to tackle on a daily basis. So I understand why it makes sense to split the job into two. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this person should be the shield for the GM should be the person that uh, takes a lot off of his plate uh, in terms of that end of the business. And can, if you want be a front facing, um, you know, person that is the voice and speaks for the organization, although not necessary for someone like Danny Briere who does, that part of the job so well is always so well-spoken as a player uh, when I covered him. Now I, I do think there's pitfalls to that though, too, to that structure that when you have someone like who has ultimate say and authority. And I think when you look at a number of teams around the league that have the GM and president of hockey ops structure, it's a real concern because the president of hockey ops might think one thing and the GM might think another. And, and if the president holds the final say, well, why do you have the GM pounding the pavement doing all the work then? And I think that pops up in a number of different markets where it is a headache and an issue. And in fact, like, I think that's going to be one of the big deciding factors of what happens with Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, for instance, you know, at the end of this season, win or lose in the playoffs there's a real question there as to how much say does Brendan Shanahan have? And obviously he has the ultimate authority as team president, 
but it has that been problematic when making hockey operations decisions to this point? I think it's a real question. And does, does Kyle Dubas want that moving forward? I think that's also a fair question. So what, what is the perfect structure? I, I tend to think that it's one person that's all encompassing. However, I think not every team is structured the same way and the flyers being corporately owned, make them a different animal or different beast than the rest who could possibly go in there and, and fulfill that role and, and do a really strong job. Um, there's already been some rumblings. Obviously I, Eric Lindros has spent a lot more time around the team in recent years. He's sort of been brought back into the fold by, um, Comcast Spectacor president, uh, Valerie Camillo, and she's the Flyers team president as well. Um, I've heard Eddie Olchek's name as well. Um, obviously, he's a well-respected broadcaster, but I think the Flyers had some sort of off-the-record or preliminary conversations with Olchek going back, you know, a year or more um, about sort of where their team was at. I think... To your point, Jay, the Flyers are in a fact-finding mode. They should be. They should be trying to get as many varying answers and opinions as they can as to the state of their team because I don't care who's going in there next, whether it's Danny Briere or uh, the second coming of Sam Pollock. If they don't fix the fundamental issues and flaws that they have within their own organization – they're never going to be able to win and they're never going to be able to properly execute whatever it is that they set on their path to, whether it's a rebuild, retool, whatever R word you want to use, they have to fix the issues that are in place beforehand, the structural problems. Well, I think the big question for the flyers is, and you mentioned it, the R word, which direction are they going? Like, like when I look at a team like Vancouver and people were like, oh, they got to rebuild. They can't rebuild. They have, they have an elite forward. They've got an elite defense, and they got a pretty good, a really good goalie who, who a lot of us at the start of the year thought was elite, and he's been banged up with injuries all season long. Philly doesn't have that, right? Philly doesn't – like, they've got good players, but none of their defensemen are elite in, in Proveroff, Sandheim, or Ristolainen. None of their forwards are elite offensively. They're good. They're not elite, and I think – they're right now stuck in, in I would think, the bottom end of purgatory because they're not even good enough to make the playoffs right now, and but they're not bad enough to be a bottom five team to get a really good draft pick. And history tells us if you want a difference maker, usually it's coming in the first three picks, and then it drops off. There's obviously exceptions to the rule, but that's how it is. And I, I think Philly is going to have to do a deep dive and look strongly in the mirror and say, okay, where, where are we realistically? Um, do we have enough? You could probably squeeze by Frank and get in the playoffs if you wanted, if you make a few moves, right? And Carter Hart has a good year. You could eat that could conceivably happen, but could you do any damage? Okay. You're really close to competing, right? And Cinderella doesn't win in the NHL. Cinderella can get to the Stanley cup final every now and then, but she never wins. doesn't happen, right? The good teams win. So, and Philly right now is not a good team. And I'm curious if they're willing to say, okay, you know what? We're going to have to go work. And they've got some, they've got some assets that can move that I think would, would give them good returns. So that's, I think yeah. is the direction. I'm not sure if that's the organizational direction because they've always been competitive. Well, I just look at the team that's right above them in the standings today. And that's Vancouver. They're sort of grappling with a lot of the same philosophical discussions and issues. However, you've made this point and I have as well that, they have really good foundational pieces that are young. Yeah. And Philly doesn't in, have that. And Pedersen and Hughes and Demko, like the flyers have one of those three, maybe in Carter Hart. And other than that, like who are you hanging your hat on for this team moving forward? I, I think, you know, when you look at this team and their organization, you're, you're thinking, okay, Carter Gauthier, like really nice piece. Outside of that, who are like, you've got question marks everywhere. Sean Couturier and this, this back injury that seemingly has no end. No. You know, where, who are you? He's too old to build around. Who are you really building this team around that you can really trust to get you to the next place of continual competition and contention? 
So when you hear Danny Briere say over the weekend in his introductory press conference, rebuild doesn't mean fire sale. Like it sounds a lot like Vancouver trying to put, you know, some lipstick on this to get better, to get uh, to a path of, of being competitive. And I just, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it feels like it needs a complete teardown. And the problem is this market and this organization have never been comfortable with being in, at the very bottom of the standings for a period of, you know, five or seven years, you say six to eight, whatever the number is, they're not comfortable with it. And more to the point, um, I would say like, they don't even realize that they've kind of been there already for the last couple years now that they're, they're, they are that bad. They just refuse to accept it. Yeah. But that's, that's to me is I love how you put that refuse to accept it because I think you have to, it's, it's been this. What if, what if, well, what if Sean Couturier wasn't hurt? What if Cam Atkinson didn't miss the season? What if um, Matt Niskanen didn't decide to retire abruptly? What it's, it's like uh, all this has been, what if Ryan Ellis didn't have this crazy? So as muscle injury, like every single thing has been, what if, what if, what if, and I think it's time to just look in the mirror and say those what ifs, the answer is, is no. And we're, we're not any good. They're, they're actually artificially good this season. They're more competitive than they should be because John Tortorella has squeezed every drop out of this team that they had. Like they should, it's another reason why I think he was the worst hire for this team. I appreciate the fire that he brings and the passion. It just coach, match to situation makes no sense. You because should be getting... bottom this of all years. You should be bottoming out. Yeah. Why was... they have 10 more points than they need to because of John Tortorella. Yeah. I don't know. It's totally, which, you know, there'll be like, well, Hey, we hire the coach to have us win. You're right. But your team wasn't good enough to win. Like, even if they were healthy, Frank, let's say we give them five more regulation wins. Let's give them five more. That's only, then they're only up to, because five more, by the way, is going from 24 to 29. That's a significant jump. So that still then only puts them in uh, just behind Ottawa and tied with Buffalo, right? They'd still be, you know, they'd be at 69 points, which would still be seven out of the playoffs. Heck, give them six more wins, which is a significant jump. That's a quarter, right, uh, of the their win totals now. They would still only be five points out of the playoffs. It wouldn't be good enough. Even if they're all healthy, they wouldn't be good enough. They just don't have the talent. Yes. That's that's it's a lack of talent is what they're dealing with. It's not a lack of work ethic. It's not a lack of try or compete. It's talent and it's it the problem is there's nothing coming. There's nothing uh, outside of Cutter Goche. There's nothing that you can point to and say we are super excited to build around this guy. They don't they don't have it. And I don't the only way to find it is to find it in in a massive number of lottery tickets, meaning you, you give yourself as many chances as possible to have some of those players turn into something and they, they got to begin to tear it down. And I just, they don't, they seem to refuse to admit that right off the hop from Danny Briere's first press conference. Re rebuild does not mean fire sale. Yeah. It should. Now let's look, it's been a, been a little bit of time to, trade deadline acquisitions that so far have been the two best. If you're looking strictly at production and statistics, Jonathan quick is three and O at Vegas, including a shutout over the Carolina hurricanes on the weekend. And Rasmus Sandin is just a light. Well, you know, we thought Dimitri Orloff was producing Sandin's now is right up there. It's extremely early, but Washington has to be, and he's 22 years of age. They got to be tickled that, uh, you know, maybe this is a, a sweet find for them. Which one, like Jonathan Quick's obviously more for this year, right? Whereas Sandine and Washington, they're hoping he's going to be long-term. But which one's a bigger surprise to you early on in how well and how much production they've given their new team? Probably Rasmus Sandine. And I think two things. It's a reminder of how team structure can impact how you view a defenseman. And two opportunity. So here's the thing about Sandine and the opportunity that he's been given that stands out. 
Ice time in four games with the Washington Capitals. I think he's actually up to 25 nine. minutes and three seconds. Yeah, he's up to nine points, I think, in five games because I don't think uh, hockey reference updated overnight. But um, so nine points in five games north of 25 minutes. That, that opportunity is great, but guess what? When John Carlson comes back, he ain't getting that first first power play opportunity either. So I think you have to temper the expectations with what he's already set with the point production because he's not going to be the guy in that spot long-term. So not for the next number of years either. Um, so it's been, I think, if you're the Caps, enthusiastic to see because um, – what you thought he might be, he's showing you that he could be. I still, what is he like on a team with that's a uh, more of a playoff contending team and has actual bona fide NHL depth? Like, look at how thin Washington's defense core is. Yeah. Like, he's play. It, it's it, again, it's opportunity and structure. So maybe there's also a difference in the way the Caps approach things that uh, is way more beneficial to Sandine's style as well that you have to account for. But the fact of the matter remains this. Look at Toronto's defense, and Rasmus Sandine was going to be a healthy scratch for the playoffs. So now on a team that isn't as good, that doesn't have as many defensemen, he's he's doing more and he's showing more, and that's good. I just still don't know that I would have given up a first-round pick to find out. But nonetheless the Caps have bought themselves a defenseman for the next number of years, which is a positive sign for sure. And you look at Sundin, he has, he's played four games, it says at the NHL, eight points. Six of them, though, five on at even strength. He's only got two points in the power play. Here. Obviously, he's not going to be playing three minutes a night with Carlson. But I wonder, as a left shot, would he start the season with Carlson five on five next year? And, you know, just play significant minutes in their top pair as Carlson's a righty and he's a lefty. Now with Quick, I think it's a different story, though. Um, I, I, you know, I look at Jonathan Quick and I and I think, well, you could say that he's done, but last year he was really good. Last year he's the reason they made the playoffs. Jonathan Quick had a nine ten save percentage in forty six games last year. That that's why they made the playoffs. So this year he's he struggled mightily. But never underestimate the power of motivation, especially oh, yes. for a really proud guy who at age 37 is, is he a Hall of Famer? He's borderline. I'd say he's, he's probably a Hall of Famer. So never underestimate that. But I think the Kings, it's fair to also point out that since the trade, they're 4-0-1. And Corpusalo has been really good, and so has Gavrikov. So I don't think the Kings are, are losing any sleep over it. In fact, if, if the Kings and Golden Knights are somehow to clash in the playoffs, if Jonathan Quick were starting for the Golden Knights, the Kings, having seen him and knowing what he is up close and personal, they're probably pretty happy about that. And they're saying, yes. well, we'll take our chances. But for Vegas, he was a free player. Yes. And he's on a revenge tour now. Yeah, because you look at Quick's numbers. In 27 starts in L.A., he was an 876. It's three starts, and he's 939. Corpus Allo's come in two starts. He's 929. So both of them are enjoying life in their new stops. And, you know, it, uh, for both of them, you look at Vegas. Vegas has pulled away a little bit in the, in the Pacific Division. And actually now they're leading the Western Conference with, with 88 points. And home ice advantage is a massive thing in the playoffs, especially in Vegas. That that arena is a gong show, and I mean that in a positive way. The fans go crazy. And you look at, you know, Edmonton and L.A., they might be on a collision course to have to finish 2-3 uh, again. And I'm, I love seeing teams play each other consecutive years in the postseason. But, um, you know, Vegas has really kind of slowly pulled away. They're eight points up on Edmonton. But that's because of quick. Yeah, with 15 games to go, like you think about it, you know, they go 7-8. and eight. Edmonton's got to go 11 and four just to catch him. Right. And that's them going under 500, which seems unrealistic. They go eight and seven. Now you got to go 12 and three. So, uh, you know, first place seems out of it for, for Edmonton anyway, in the, in the Pacific. And I'm just, you know, Vegas is Vegas was the one team, but if Jonathan quick, like the guys won two Stanley cups, if he, you're, as you say, Frank, as his revenge tour becomes into an extended one, all of a sudden Vegas is legit. Well, it's, 
it's sort of the classic, oh, so you think I can't play anymore? Like, I've won two Stanley Cups and a Conn Smythe Trophy. Like, I I know I can still play. Now I'm going to prove it to you, and I'm going to prove it to everyone else, and I'm going to jam it up your ass. I love that. He That guy was he was angry, and rightfully so, after the way that he was dispatched in, in L.A. You know, I, I, I get the idea of moving on from a player. Um, six weeks left in his 10-year contract. You, you can do whatever you want. But the fact that he wasn't brought into the process at all, the fact that he was never communicated with, and as he's walking out to the bus in Winnipeg, someone hands him a phone and says, Rob Blake would like to talk to you. I just think that's a Bush League way to treat a player. And I, I love that it's a f- I love that that's fuel for him now as he tries to – what a way to ride off. Maybe he – I think he plays again next year. Maybe he doesn't. But what a way to ride off that would be if, if, you're, if you're able to go on a deep run with a team and, and you lead them there, especially in Vegas where they need it. Now, Frank, last Monday we had the Flames obituary, and I know that Markstrom had the 40-save shutouts, and people thought, oh, the Flames are back. But here's the thing. When, when you get down to games played, look at Winnipeg. Winnipeg had a tough schedule. They go into Florida and Tampa and get two huge wins. And I know the Flames won last night, but now they uh, they wake up and there's Colorado that's five points ahead of them, but they have three games at hand, so they're not catching them. So you look at Winnipeg and they're still six points up with 15 games to go, and Winnipeg has the tiebreaker on regular They're behind wins. Nashville. I mean, yeah. They're, so they are what done. they are. Yeah. So and The, the issue wearing- is, is the E. Oh, well, you, you can go ahead. But the reason, I was I, say, God. the reason I'm wearing this is because, unfortunately, Sabre fans, uh, it's the obituary for Sabres, Sens, and Red Wings today combined. They're all yep. done. Like That's what we, I was just going to say. We were going to count out Washington. We already counted them out. And Washington has got Sandine, and now they're suddenly back ahead of those three teams. Like, they had a great push there, but Florida is the only non-playoff team, I think, Frank, that has a chance, and they got a legit chance now. With uh, the Islanders having more games played, they win. If Florida wins their game in hand, they're one back. It's going to be a good race. But Buffalo, Detroit. I know fans. I'm sorry to tell you, I love Buffalo. I like the upside of Ottawa and Detroit. But the uh, I think we're counting all three of them out today on the uh, on the rundown, Frank. I think it's uh, it's lights out for them. I know that statistically you have a chance, but you don't have a chance. Yeah, it was. I think the nail in the coffin was the ten four loss for the Sabers, yeah. and I, and they they've just had injuries at the wrong time too. Yes, like I know Alex Tuck is coming back, but you miss Tuck, who's sort of the heartbeat of your team up front for you know three weeks, and you know you're missing you know Samuelson and Darlene is banged up. Like it's just inopportune timing for that team. Eric Comrie's banged up again. <laughs> You, you said this a long time ago, and I, I've never really been a big believer in their team this season, but if there's going to be someone else that gets in outside of the top eight right now, it's it's going to be Florida. Yeah. like they. Do you, do you they, think they can do it? I still think they can. Yeah, like I just – they have too much talent. Like we talked about Philly earlier. They don't have talent. Florida has talent. They just – they were underperforming. And Bobrovsky's – you know what? It, he's actually played pretty well lately for Florida. And I, I look at, you know, Barkoff. Uh, you know, Kachuk's obviously played extremely well. They get Duclair back. That's I think he's a quiet big addition for them. He just adds so much speed to their lineup. And, yeah, I like Florida. I like Florida. I think that it, it can't go from being a President's Trophy team. And I know that Huberto left and Uyghur left, but you brought in Kachuk. Your, your team shouldn't, you know, crumble and miss the playoffs. And I just – I think they have more top-to-bottom talent than, uh, than the Islanders do. And I think that's why they're going to get in ultimately. So you think it's going to be Florida in, Islanders out? Yeah. Pittsburgh has uh, – Pittsburgh's got Crosby and Malkin. I wasn't counting those guys out. They just, they know how to win when it matters. Yeah, I agree. And that's the thing. Like, even when you have a game, like, so Pittsburgh played back to back, you have Saturday and Sunday, they look kind of lifeless on Saturday and then they rev it back up on Sunday. Like they've just, they're not, they're not good enough or deep enough to be able to flip that switch in the playoffs, but to be able to get in is a different story. What's really interesting when you think about the East is, it's a historically low points percentage to get in, and so many teams aren't clearing the bar. Like 93 points right now would get you in clear of, of any tiebreakers. The Islanders are only on pace for 92, and they're in the eighth spot. Florida's on pace for 89. 
It's a really low bar, and no one's like the fact that Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit, Washington, none of these teams are really kind of even in the mix goes to show you how really kind of disappointing this season has been for a lot of teams. Yeah. The, the, and the other oddity for the uh, for the Panthers is they played Toronto three times in their last 15 games. <laughs> like, that's great if, if they were going to meet in the playoffs somehow. But uh, other than that, though, they they've majority of their games are against, you know, they got Ottawa, they got Detroit, they got Montreal twice. Like, they've got a, a pretty favorable schedule, obviously playing the Leafs three times, and I know they have the Devils in the ring. But maybe that's so. a good time to catch the Leafs because what do the Leafs have to play for? Yeah, fair. I mean, fair. they've got home ice to play for in the first round. That's it. <clears throat> hey, we're only a matter of days away from the, the Bruins clinching not just the Atlantic, but also the East. Yeah. They're 11 points clear of any team in the East. Like the, I think it's going to be hard for Boston to, to chase the NHL record, Frank, because they just, there's now, I guess you're chasing that and that's your motivation, but are you not resting Bergeron and Krejci potentially at their age in a few games down the stretch? That's the thing. You could probably play them like 14 minutes a night or 15 minutes a night, still rest them and still give your team a great chance to win. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, limit their minutes maybe might be better. Because I know some guys like to stay in rhythm and want to play, which is great. But uh, I, mean, I could just, see one game. Will they do it? Guys. I'm just doing the math. They're on pace for uh, 133, which would be the record by one. Yes. Yeah, but so it's it, it's going to come down to the wire. Yeah, like it, that's why Like I don't ultimately think it, it matters what's – it could be historic, though, because they're in Montreal, their final game of the season, to break the record owned by the Habs. <laughs> oh, that would be great. That would be interesting. They're, the goal differential is what's crazy to me. Plus 103 is bananas. Yeah, it is. And they're not even on pace for any sort of record scoring. It's not like like last year, Florida set the record for most goals scored in the salary cap era. They're not even going to be close no. to even sniffing the record. But it's the fact that they've only allowed 142 it's crazy. Yeah, they are. They're Columbus has team. allowed 102 more goals. <laughs> the Anaheim um, Ducks have allowed well, 129. Yeah, Anaheim. But, hey, the Anaheim 129 Ducks. more goals. Like, think about that. Yeah. That's 129 more goal horns. Yeah. Like, you look at those those teams, though. Look at the race for the bottom, man. Columbus, now they've got a little bit of a gap, Frank. We should mention that. they got a three-point lead over San Jose and uh, Chicago, although they do have uh, games in hand. But uh, the race for Bedard, and really the race for 25% is probably what we should be calling it. Um, it is, uh, it's going to come right down to the wire. But the, the Anaheim Ducks are slowly, you know what, uh, they're winning themselves out of the race. They now are seven points up on Columbus as they've gone five, two, and three in their last 10 games. Almost at the point now, Frank, where I think Anaheim, the chance of them getting the best odds, they're done. We talk about Buffalo and uh, Detroit, and then we're saying, hey, we'll give you the obituary on the best odds. Anaheim, you're winning too much. Sorry. Your Arizona, obituary. you're winning too much. Yes. Yeah, it's coming down to Columbus, San Jose, and Chicago on the other stretch of it. So The problem is... Uh, we- Okay, so our, so let's say Columbus finishes in the in the thirty second place. Yes, they have a seventy four point five percent shot of not getting Connor Bedard. Yeah, I know that's why tanking doesn't make 74. sense. Seventy four point five. Yeah, it's bananas. And people are like, "Oh, well, look at the Flyers, or look at St. Louis, or Vancouver, one of these teams." Like, it's amazing that they have five or six percent. Yeah, it's that's good. It's a ninety-four percent chance you don't get that player. No. Well, we'll uh, we'll see who uh, who wins it, Frank. It's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, the draft lottery definitely will have a little bit more intrigue this year. Like one, just a little over one month away, like less than five weeks away from finding out where Connor Bedard's going. Yeah, I, I I can tell you that it will make an impact significantly to an organization. And I'm not saying he's Connor McDavid. Good, not Connor McDavid, but the next round. Since guy. Austin Matthews, I yeah. think the most highly sought after draft pick. Yeah, I think he's on the Austin Matthews level in terms of impact. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk. Ty, how you doing? 
I'm doing good. Fresh off a little 36-hour trip to Toronto with the Nation Vacation. So shout out to AMA Travel and Oilers Nation for that. I've never watched a game at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. And uh, it, has a rep- it has a reputation of being quiet, but it got pretty loud in there on Saturday. I was pretty impressed. Well, three goals in three minutes when it looked like they were out of it. Uh, that's a quick way to turn things around. Yeah, the Oilers, Oilers played Santa Claus there. The rest of the that day. was terrible. Yeah. It's just a place. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I mean, it's there is there was there anything super redeeming about it that you found interesting or unique or nostalgic or anything? No, but like a lot of the new arenas now are pretty much like that. No, frankly, you've been around to a lot of them, like Edmonton, Detroit. They're all just kind of cookie cutter barns for the most part. Yeah. yeah, and the the Toronto one's no different. It's yeah. twenty some years old, and it's just it's like literally just a place. Yeah, it's just there. Uh, you guys were talking about the Bruins and the lack of goals compared to the Ducks. How about this? The Anaheim Ducks are currently giving up four goals against per game, a dead even four point zero zero. There has not been a team end the season with four or more goals against per game since nineteen ninety five ninety six, when the San Jose Sharks were at four point three five. Was that the 73 loss San Jose Sharks? Uh, no, that was they went 20, 55, and 7 that year. Oh, man. There were some really bad Shark teams in the early 90s. Anyway, so the Ducks have a chance to do history. And I looked on kind of like the flip side of it in the last 20 years in terms of goals scored per game. Or sorry, the least amount of goals against per game. Uh, the Bruins aren't even that close. They're like fifth in the last 20 years. Oh. Um, they would have to drop it all the way down to like 2.02, I think to get close to even just in the last 10 years to be at the top. Oh man. Just, I'm just looking at sharks history, 92, 93, 11, 71 and two. That's a rough. Can you imagine, year. can you imagine suiting up for 71 losses? I, I wrote an oral history of some of those early shark years when they went to the Stanley cup final and they like literally one game that they won, they celebrated pretending like they won the Stanley cup with a, gar- a garbage can in their locker room, it was all they had to go on. Yeah, you know what's funny, Frank? The Washington Capitals did that when they won only eight games. Ron that Lowe was their won. seventy, yeah, seventy-three yeah. losses, right? They went. I knew a team had seventy-three, and um, they did exactly that. The guys took the garbage can onto the ice. They ended like a thirty-nine or thirty-eight game losing streak, and they took the garbage can and paraded around the ice. <laughs> oh, that's so good, man. The missing link, Link Gates. Oh, what oof. a classic. They. Stoop, you know, it's really bad Link had that car accident because he could play. And then after the accident, obviously had severe, you know, he had some brain damage, but he was, he was a lunatic beforehand, but he was a lunatic who could play. Like he could, he was an excellent outlet passer as a defender. Tyler, I don't know how much you know about Link Gates, but I feel like it's mandatory reading for someone of your age. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, like he's the type of guy they, they, they landed in, in a city once and like, police boarded the back of their plane to come haul him off for like an outstanding arrest warrant. Ah, they don't make him like that anymore. Unbelievable. They just don't. Could you imagine like, could you imagine the publicity now? Like of, of like, it would be an, it would be never ending. Yeah. All right, uh, let's get into this week's fill in the blank brought to you by our friends at Points Bet Canada. All the latest odds available on their site. This first one requires you to have your list of your top five Stanley Cup contenders in your head. And the question is, of your top five cup contenders, blank are from the Western Conference. Frank? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I will say two. Really? Care to share? Which two? Just two. I'm going to say Colorado and Edmonton. Wow, no Vegas. All right, Jay? I have three. Really? Vegas, Colorado, and Edmonton. Because, honestly, I, I think it's I think there's more chance that one of those teams gets hot and can go on a run. Where I look, in, I look at if Toronto wins, I wouldn't be shocked. Tampa Bay. I look at Boston, of course. They're my, one of my favorites. But look at, the, look, at, look at Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers. Like, look at... The Devils just shut out Carolina and, and so aren't you aren't you aren't you proving No no, the no, other no. Way? my point is though Frank that I think I can't pick one. To me I think Edmonton has an easier path or like I think both of those teams are in the Pacific final. So now I'm going to get one of them. So I'm going my odds on who I think has an easier path to get to the conference final. I think any of the three teams in each the Atlantic and Metro could get there so I think the odds are lower that I pick the right one. I see that. So I'm so, going on my odds. 
Not who's necessarily the better teams, but who has a better chance of getting to the cup. And once you're in the cup, then you have a chance. But you got to get there. Hmm. It's an interesting way of looking at so it. So sure. what what happens if Colorado ends up in the Pacific bracket, though? Ah, they're not going to be a wild card team. Oh, that'd be something, though. Hey, if well, you see, had... like Minnesota's kind of pulling away, and so is Dallas. Like Minnesota's, they've tied their franchise record point streak at 13 now. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh yeah, no, it's they, more. It's going to be Winnipeg, right? There's six. Knock. There's six clear of of Colorado. So Winnipeg, yeah. There's they're only one point. Yeah, they're one back, and Colorado three has three games in hand. Like I still think that I think Colorado's chance of winning the division are done. Could you I imagine the chaos of of Colorado ending up in the Pacific bracket? It would be insane. Yeah, but it just shows you how idiotic the NHL. Just another reminder, NHL. When it's four and four, there should be no crossover. <laughs> Stop the insanity. So, Tyler, what's your answer? Uh, I think mine is two as well, but I have a hard time. Like, as weird as this can sound, I'm wearing an Oilers Nation sweater on the show. I don't think Edmonton is as good as Vegas or Colorado. I mean, it, the gap's closer than it was last year between them and the Avs for sure, but I think the Avs getting to run through that central division will be easier than Edmonton having to go up against Vegas in round two, and Vegas could win the division by, you know, 10 points, so I have a hard time taking them. I also have a hard time betting against Connor McDavid, and I'm sure it would be a tight series, but I think my answer is two, and it would be Vegas and Colorado. And then in the Are we East, sleeping on Dallas? Jake Ottinger makes you think. Like, that's the thing is like, and they've been consistent and that top line can score and they're a bit of a heavier team to play against. And their defense is really mobile. Like, that's the one team I was saying. Like, if I was going to add a third team to my mix in the the West, it it wouldn't be Vegas. It would be Dallas. Hey, speaking of sleeping on things, I think we're strongly sleeping on Dean Evison as coach of the year. Look at look at the lack of salary cap space that they have compared to every other team in the NHL. Wouldn't that be GM of the year, though? No, no, because the coach is the one who's getting the most out of the players, right? GM of the year, you got to make. It's the moves. GM who went out and got Philip Gustafson, uh, True, swapping yeah. him for Cam Talbot when it yeah. would have just been easy to go through the year with Cam Talbot. Yeah, no, that moves that move worked for sure. But I just look at the coach and Bill Guerin, you can give him some props, but he also made the decision to have twelve million dollars in wasted cap space. So it's a tough one. But I look at Evison and what he's doing in Minnesota. They're one point out of first place in the uh, yeah. in the central. And they've like, been they way 80. too streaky for me to be in any sort of coach of the year talk. They looked way too fragile at times. Uh, well, they, not, they've they've been a team of now. runs. They started poorly. Then when they got Ryan Reeves, they went really hot. Then they went cold and were awful coming out of the all-star break and before it. And then now they're set tying a franchise record point streak. Like that, that just doesn't, that's not coach of the year conversation. for me. Yeah. To me, I look at it. Look, Kaprizov's now out and they're still winning without their, their clear best player. Like they're a team. Like we talked earlier, Frank, about John Tortorella's giving Philadelphia too many points. Right, because they're getting everything out of them. Well, Evanson's doing that in a way that they're a playoff team. They got as many points as Tampa freaking Bay right now. <laughs> Tampa freaking Bay. Like, so, Tyler, let's let's do another fill in the blank then. So, since Jay just answered it, Dean Evison, who is the sneaky coach of the year candidate that no one's talking about outside of Jim Montgomery. What's your answer, Frank? Well, I, I've been saying for weeks or months that I first off my preseason pick was Rick Bonus, and I would say Winnipeg would be in the mix. But this recent slide and how poorly they've played since the end of January has given me some real cause for concern. Why doesn't, um, like, why doesn't Lindy Ruff deserve more consideration? Hey, and for me, like, I remember when we did one of our early DFO live shows this year, he was my prediction for who will be the first coach fired. I was like, oh, you have Andrew Brunette on the bench. They're booing Lindy Ruff at the opening game. Like, I was like, man, they're going to gas him, and then the Devils will go on and make the playoffs. And, I mean, for him to come and have the impact he's had while Andrew Brunette's kind of been there and all that kind of negative energy was around them to start, I think Lindy Ruff's a good answer. Um, what about Lane they Lambert? Might, they might win the division. Yeah. Yeah. They might. Lane Lambert, basically the same roster as they had last year out on Long Island, and he's managed to get them scoring more, giving up less. 
and they're probably going to be a playoff team this year, or is that a stretch? They still like, haven't I mean, cracked yeah. 200 goals. Yeah. They, they haven't figured score. out how to score. That's fair. Yeah. Dean Evison, Lindy Ruff. Yeah, those are both two really good ones. Like, it ties in my next uh, fill-in-the-blank here was an award-based one as well. Uh, we all kind of have Connor McDavid written in ink, written in Sharpie as the Hart Trophy winner. Uh, but who would be two other deserving candidates? Who would? How else would you round out your ballot, I guess? And I know we're still a month away from having to do that kind of thing, or you guys are as voters, so I figured it's a fair time to ask it, Frank. Go ahead, Jay. You go first. Well, I think... The fact that they're not going to make the playoffs is going to hurt Tage Thompson. But I think, you know, to, to win, it's different than to get on the ballot. So I think he'll be one of the five guys as a finalist. But I would say Tage Thompson. Um, I'm going to go with Jason Robertson in Dallas. I think Robertson has had an outstanding season, not just offensively. You look at when, when he's on the ice and, you know, and, and his support numbers, um, his other statistics, if you're looking at possession goals against everything else, five on five, he's been outstanding for a team that might win uh, their division, right? They're currently in first place. We haven't talked about them a whole bunch. And here's where I'm split because I, if you played more games, I think I could make a strong push for Allmark, but you can't be in the heart when you miss, when you're not playing that many games, in my opinion. You're not valuable for your he's team. Not, he's not going to hit 50 games. Yeah. So I'll go with Pasternak because he's going to hit 50 goals for the first time. He's mm-hmm. going to score 100 points. It's really hard to do in the same season. So I will go with Pasternak and, and Robertson. Um, I think that's a great – Pasternak, you took the answer right out of my mouth. I think that's a great choice. I don't think he's deserving, but I think Nikita Kucherov has had the best season that no one's talked about. Um the fact that he's closing in on 100 points himself. Have you heard anyone, like, no one has even mentioned the season Kucherov has had. There's been lots of talk about how eye-opening Tage Thompson has been or Eric Carlson, and people were all over Jason Robertson as he put together the massive point streak earlier in the year. Um, Pasternak would be the guy for me that I really focus on. And, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, And I think... Jack Hughes is another guy that's going to deserve some significant consideration as well. Well, and the one guy, if, if they get into the playoffs, he won't win, but he'll get a lot of votes is Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. If you look at the season he's had in Florida, it's been he should, pretty should, But I, I was focusing on teams that I think are going to make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair. That's why I didn't have him in my top two. But I was just going to say, Matt. Yeah, like and, Ford, and Miko Rantanen should deserve some real consideration too. Yeah, fourth to fifth. I think there, there's going to be an array of different players because you can make you might have twenty players that that get votes there. Second to fifth, yeah, it's fair. Matt Kachuk has thirty more points this year than any other player on the Panthers roster. I think if if they get in, he's got just as good of a case as anyone to be one of those two. Uh, all right, we're running a little long with this one, so the last thing I'll wrap this up with a little trivia quiz stats question for you. Five Ooh. players have scored three overtime winners this year, but only one of them is a D-man. Do you know who that D-man is? Hmm. I know it. Oh, God. Latang. He buried his third this weekend. If I had a little horn or something to congratulate you for nailing it as quick as you did, I would I would you play it. You should play now. the Liam Ding Dong. Yeah, you know what? I feel like we <laughs> deserve that, like a little treat when someone gets a question right. Where do I, there we go. Ding Dong. There you go. I know... Pedersen has three in um, Vancouver, right? And yep. Nekash has three in Carolina, I think. Who are the other guys? Yeah, so you got Nekash, Pedersen, Rantanen, and William Rant. Nylander also has three. And then Chris Letang oh. is the only goalie. Or sorry, only is the only demon. Demon. Rantanen, uh, I'm telling you, not getting enough love for that heart fourth, fifth place vote. Hey, he's there are a few, he's a few, their MVP this year. Yeah, there are a few stats though going into the game, and I haven't looked since. But going into the game, like the stunning stat of the year that Austin Matthews led NHL forwards and block shots that blew my mind. Hilarious. On uh, going into the Toronto you, game, I haven't looked. It's, since. it's literally been like all the rage on Toronto radio. Yeah, like Whenever I, I mention his goal total, they're like, "But he leads the league in block shots." Yeah, which is terrible if that's what you're going to. It just I find it surprising. I'm like guys, he earns eleven point six million dollars. Because he scores, you can get someone that makes seven hundred grand a block yeah. shots like an animal. Like Mark Giordano and Chris Russell are saying, are we paying that much to get shots blocked? We got screwed, man. We got screwed. But uh, and the other one is how bad the orders are as the league's leading team when it comes to overtime. Oh, it blows yeah. my mind. 
Yeah, they've been terrible. They haven't won a shootout yet this year. I think they're 0 for 4, 0 for 5 in the shootout. 0 for 4 in shootouts. And uh, in overtime, they've went to overtime. I think it's 8 or 10 times, and they've scored twice. It's mind-blowing. Crazy. All right, well, that is a wrap on this week's edition of Fill in the Blank. Shout out to our friends at PointsBet Canada. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Lots of good news Some week. of the teams that have done a lot in OT. Dallas, 13 overtime losses. <laughs> yeah. And six, uh, six regulation uh, or sorry, six OT wins. So that means like a more than a quarter of their season, more than a third of their season to this point has been played in overtime. Yeah, I know it's nuts. So it's like they're they're tight, man. They're in the tight games for sure. So maybe that's good where it goes. Playoff time. We'll find out if there's anything juicy coming from the GM meetings, but uh, we don't anticipate that. Uh, Batman will speak on Wednesday, and then uh, we'll break it down. Um, I'm with you, Frank. I think he will say uh, right now everything's status quo on the cap, uh, slightly going up next season. Mm-hmm. Have a good few days. Talk to you. Oh, by the way, for anybody, because I know there's lots of response when Frank talked about how he's going on his uh, weight loss quest. We're going to update that every two weeks. So every second Friday, we'll give you an update on uh, where Frank's status is, is his quest for 200. He's uh, started at 294 and he's going to 200, which is awesome. And so we'll update it every few weeks to keep him uh, to keep him honest and on his toes and have some motivation for any listeners who want to do the same thing. It's hilarious. I think of the scene and I don't know if you saw the the movie. It was in the 90s when I was a kid. It was called Heavyweights and it was a, a movie about fat kid camp. You could never make a movie about that today. But uh <laughs> What? What? This is a show. Fat this, yeah. camp. Yeah, Ben St- Ben Stiller was was in the movie and uh yeah, Fat Kid Camp and it's just these kids that are just way overweight that go to to go to camp to try and lose weight and they try and keep them in sports and they watch their diet and candy intake and all these different things and uh there's this one kid that's just an absolute slob and then they have like daily weigh-ins and like step on the scale son and he gets on like the guy they don't have enough like weights to move over anymore he's like step off the scale son you're just a disappointment uh, well, <laughs> that's Frank, that's me step off the scale son i think you will see good it's going to be the last month or last six weeks where you're at 206 and you're like oh my god i got six pounds and that's going to be the hardest the easiest will be the start mm-hmm. well we'll see yeah, well, I look forward to it. Good luck. How's the water going? Good. Yeah, just keeping it, uh, keeping it on the rails. And the other big difference I noticed ever since you said it is Americans say soda and Canadians say pop. So because uh, I always think well, of soda it depends soda on where water. you are because um, in like in Pittsburgh they call it pop, but in but Philly, in Philly call they call soda. it soda. Yeah, in the same state. It's what's uh, do you know what's in between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh? Alabama. It's it's like it's another world away. It's it's literally we call it Pennsylvania for a reason. Okay. 
Uh, I've actually never, I've been to Philly, I've been to Pitt, but I've never been to Alabama. It's, you see some things along the way between the two, trust me. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll talk to you uh, later this week, Frank. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.